for your goodness. And as we look in your word right now, that as we look at what it means to have the right motive as we live out our faith, pray, God, that during this time, we, your Holy Spirit would teach us, guide us, lead us. May the words that come out of my mouth be inspired by your Holy Spirit, not mine, God. Thank you that your word is powerful, teaches us, encourages us, and challenges us. May it do those things this morning in your son's name. Amen. All right, I want you to think of a time, think of a time when you did a good thing. You did a really nice thing. You did a good thing. But if you think about it, you realize that your motive for doing it may have been a little bit in the selfish side. Okay? Think about that. Something you did, it was really nice, you really went and did something, or just something, a good thing you did, and you thought, if you think back, you go, you know what? I think my motives were a little bit selfish in nature. Maybe you felt compelled to give a large tip to a waitress. Did a great job, and you gave this large tip to the waitress, and afterwards, you made sure that someone else knew how much you gave so that they would think, wow, you're a generous, you're a really nice person. Or maybe you gave money to the church or to a ministry or to a missionary, uh, and you let someone know about it because deep down inside, you wanted them to see you as a good and generous person. Or maybe sometimes when you pray out loud in a group or in front of the wherever, you find yourself a bit anxious to make sure that you say just the right words so the other people might be impressed with how you pray. Can anybody relate to any of these? I could keep going, couldn't I? In my own life, I tried to examine my own life. I'm thinking, okay, yeah, 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 all, all these different things. You see, I believe that it's easier than you and I think to allow our motives or our reasons that we do good things, even spiritual things, to be hijacked by our sin nature. That happens Today, we can come to a passage in our study in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus teaches us about the proper motive for living out our faith, specifically when it comes to spiritual practices. You see, Jesus knows, he is very aware that our desire, in our desire to honor him as we live out our faith, because of our sin nature, we will at times struggle to do so with pure motives. He knows this. So let's, we're going to jump right in. Matt, we're in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start with verse 1. Let's look right at that. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, in this verse, what Jesus is doing at, Jesus is kind of laying the groundwork, or really he's giving his thesis or the premise for everything else he's going to say. All the rest of the verses that we're going to look at this morning, really, he's laying down, this is, okay, this is what I'm getting at here. He's saying that is if you practice your, your faith or you live out your faith, when you do that, don't do it in order to be seen by people in order to gain their approval. 
Okay, this is where he's going to go the whole rest of this time here. You see here, what he's talking about, practicing your righteousness. When he says righteousness, what he's speaking here of is it has to do with spiritual practices that a person does as they live out their faith. So he's saying, when you do this, don't do it to gain other people's approval. If you remember in, this la- in the last section that we looked at in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gave us examples of how, as to how their righteousness, the people's righteousness, remember it was to exceed that of the religious leaders. Remember that? Because these religious leaders, according to Jesus, they were hypocrites. And he said they were hypocrites because what they did on the outside didn't match what was in their heart. Their motives were not pure. Their main motive for keeping the Jewish law or for practicing, out the, practicing their faith wasn't to honor God. It was to get praise and applause and pats on the back and approval from other people. That's what, that was their pure motive for being so religious and doing so much. What Jesus has been helping his followers and us to understand here is that the true obedience or what we've been talking about, kingdom living, is more than just an outward actions. But what it is, is the result of a transformed heart due to what we've been talking about, the reign and the rule of God in our hearts and our lives. That's where it comes out. Last time we saw that Jesus was very specifically taught his listeners how their righteousness must exceed that of the religious leaders for true kingdom living. Remember the examples he used when we looked at last time? He used the example of adultery and lust, divorce, truth-telling, retaliation, and loving our enemies. Jesus likes to keep it light, doesn't he? Now he would go right for the jugular on these things, all right? So what, that's what Jesus is going to do uh, once again. And we know this, and we know that he's going to do this because with the things that he talks about and the examples that he uses here, this time he's going to use examples of prominent religious practices, prominent religious practices that the Jewish people were adhering to at that day. And these can really apply to us. I want us to kind of bring it into the context of our lives, those of you that are followers of Jesus, how your faith plays out, bring that in as we talk about it. Because what Jesus is going to be doing now, he's going to be drilling down to the very heart of what actually motivates you and I to practice our faith. Because that's what he's concerned about, remember? This is all that we've been talking about like crazy is the heart. That's what Jesus is talking about. And what Jesus teaches us here is we're not to be motivated by being noticed by other people and gaining their approval. Because like I said, Jesus knows that it's our natural desire. It's natural for us to want to be noticed and praised by other people, isn't it? And if you shake your head, no, it's not me, you're lying. (laughs) Because that's all of us. To some degree, we want to be noticed. We want to be praised. Obviously, we want to be appreciated by other people. But that, that line where it goes can get really blurry sometimes. Jesus isn't surprised by this by us. He doesn't look at us and go, oh, you. No, he knows that about us because he knows our sin nature. So he's going to help us. He's going to help us have pure motives when it comes to not only just regular things of life, but even actually how we live out our faith, how we practice our faith. He's not surprised by it. And he knows that because of our sin nature, what's going to happen is this desire to want to get these pats on the back is going to creep into our lives. And it's even going to have an impact on just the the basic things we do in our faith. He knows it. 
He knows that the most pure things that we want to do as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, are going to get tainted by sin and our desire to be self-promoting. It's going to be hijacked by our impure motives to want to be noticed. So Jesus starts by reminding us, check your motives, okay? That's what this first verse is about. Check your motives here, okay? Now let's look at these three practices that Jesus uses as examples to illustrate correct Correct way, verse, way uh, versus wrong way, incorrect motive, or having incorrect motives. So first one he talks about is giving to the needy, okay? Giving to the needy. Look at verses two through four. He says this. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Now, notice that Jesus is assuming here that people are giving to the needy. He says, when you give, and you're going to see that in all three of these. He says, when you do this. So he knows that they're already doing it. So Jesus isn't about to say, hey, come on, you got to start giving to the needy. You got to start doing it. That's not where he's going with this. He's just assuming he knows they're doing this. Okay, so that's how he's talking about us to us this morning. He's assuming we are already doing these things. See, back in Jesus' day, giving to the poor was a very important part of Jewish life. It was actually in their, it was their duty, it was their religious duty to help take care of poor people by giving to the synagogue. And the synagogue had a program, really, that was basically like our modern-day welfare system. So that was part of just their daily life. It's how they lived. Now, <laughs> there's no evidence that, these, that when someone gave, trumpets were... Thank you, John. That was awesome. 500 bucks. You know, there's no, there's no tell, there's nothing that says, there's evidence that says that we're, trumpets were literally blown. Uh, but this most likely is Jesus' way of metaphorically referring to the fact that these people were expecting for, for public recognition. They were some kind of public recognition. They were expecting it to happen. If I'm going to give, I want people to know. Okay. And some people say this is kind of where the whole phrase tooting your own horn came from. It makes sense, though, too. It, it totally makes sense. They wanted people to know, look what I'm doing. I am giving. Okay? So Jesus calls these people hypocrites. And the word hypocrite, many of you know, hypocrite literally, literally means an actor or a stage player, one who pretends to act out a part. You see what these people were doing? They were pretending to have the right motives. See, their actions didn't line up with their motive. And here's the thing. The problem that Jesus is having with the people wasn't that they were deceiving other people into thinking that they were righteous by their giving. That wasn't the problem. The problem that Jesus was having is that they wanted everybody to know. That was, it, wasn't just their, it wasn't their deception. It was making sure people knew, listen, this is what I have done. Check me out. Now, this term, though, they received their reward. Really, what this is, this is a technical commercial term that literally means that they have received their payment in full, okay? They got everything that's coming to them, nothing more. They're not going to get paid any more. That's their reward. You want the reward of praise of people? That's it. 
That's what you got. Nothing else is coming. You see, for these people, their aspirations were not on receiving any reward from God whatsoever. When they gave to the poor, which was their religious duty, they weren't looking for God to reward them in the slightest. Their aspiration was limited to the recognition and to the praise of people. This sounded all like our society today. But you see how easy that comes, that, what Jesus is going to be getting at is that gets into our religious practice. It inv- that very desire starts to invade our relationship with him and tweaks it and morphs it and destroys it. So that's what he's doing here. He's saying that when you give in order to receive approval or recognition from others, that's all you're gonna get. You want, you want me to thank you for that? You want me to say good job? Great. That's it. God's like, in God's eyes, there's nothing there. No reward's gonna have, come from me. And that's fine. He's like, you want that reward? That's great, but I got something better. And he's going to talk about that. Now, Jesus goes on to tell us that the proper motivation for giving to the needy is. He says that once again, and once again, he does this by using imagery. He has a great job. This is such a bizarre image. So bizarre. He says that when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. How's that possible? I mean, isn't it wild? If you look through the Bible, have you ever read through the Bible and you read something that Jesus said or someone says and you just go, that's so weird. And it just, it's because what, what the Bible, writers of the Bible do are so often, what Jesus is doing is so often, he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to get us to see that, yes, this is bizarre, what I'm telling you. But there's a reason I'm saying it like this. I'm saying this because when you give to the needy, I don't want them to know what you're, I don't want them to know what, what, what that means is. Basically, I want this to be done in secret. I want this to be done as if they don't even, it's impossible for the left hand and the right hand not to know what each other's doing. That's crazy. That's why he's going to such lengths here. He's using hyperbole or really this purposeful exaggeration to make a point. He's saying that when we give or perform really any act of mercy, we should do so as inconspicuously as possible. As if we were, as if, it's in a sense, as if we were doing it in secret, just between us and God. Okay, God, look what I'm doing. Now, remember, he's talking about motive here. He's not talking about, oh my gosh, I can't, if I put my check in the offering and someone sees it, oh no, no reward. You know, he's not, he's not saying that at all. He's not saying, oh, I can't be nice to people and I'm gonna be nice to, oh, no, no one sees me give them that sandwich or money. No, he's not saying that, remember? He's getting to the motive here. What's your motive in doing that? Do you need someone to see? Okay, because if you need someone to see, there's no reward, which we're gonna talk about in a second, what that is. So, and your motive be as inconspicuous as possible. You could even go as far as saying that really, when we give, in a way, we need to forget ourselves. Don't even remember, don't even remember that. And we do this because it's easy, isn't it easy? We pat ourselves on the back for our, our generosity and our good works. And what we do, what happens is we can turn our spiritual practices that were meant to honor God and meant to honor other people into a source of pride. That, that's how the enemy works. Okay, you want to be a good follower of, G- of Jesus? Fine, go do this nice thing. And then he just starts working. And he tweaks it and messes with it. 
That's how he works. That's why Jesus is saying, check your motive. Be careful. Because I've got something better for you than getting just the applause of people. There's so much more than that. So much more. Now, look what Jesus tells us happens when our motive for giving, for giving is to simply honor God, okay, and to not get, not get any recognition for it. We see that when we give in secret, just between us and God, he says that he rewards us. Okay, he gives us rewards. What Jesus is talking about here are rewards that we will receive for being faithful to kingdom living. Did you know that? You and I receive rewards for living, for him, for honoring God. Now, this is a whole different reward system than probably we're used to thinking about how it works. But these rewards that we will see, primarily what he's talking about, are in the future, okay? These are primarily in the future, when we're in heaven, when we're with Jesus. Yet at times, though, these are present as well. At times, we do receive, because remember, we've talked about, we are living within the kingdom right now, right? We've talked about that. But remember, we talked about that already, but not yet. We're in the already, already God's kingdom has come with Jesus inaugurated as God's kingdom. But there's so much that we don't see. I have a feeling what we don't see, if there's this much that's part of God's kingdom, I have a feeling we see this much. Really. I think we like to convince ourselves that we know this much about God's kingdom. But I have a feeling we really know this much. And that's what he's saying here. There's some rewards coming. And there's some rewards even you're going to experience now, but man, it's, the ones you get now are nothing compared to what is coming. Like An example of present, though, would be like the inexpressible, the unexplainable joy that we experience when we please our Heavenly Father, when we're giving in order to help them meet the needs of other people in His name. Have you ever had that happen before? where you give of your time or your talent or your money and you just get this overwhelming joy and you know you're doing it because you just want to honor God. You just want to honor your heavenly father. Have you ever felt that, just that incredible joy that comes and no one even knows? No one saw you do it. And this is more than just what the world would say, yeah, it's a good feeling to give. No, we're talking way more than that. We're talking about this unexplainable joy that comes from living how God wants to love and giving, not because we're giving because of us, but we, give, we gave purely in secret. We gave it for, to God because we wanted to honor him. There's a big difference there, and we can't miss that. There's a big difference in doing just nice things and feeling good about it versus doing good in God's honor. There's a big difference there because we do things for an eternal reward. We do things for an eternal impact. When I witness to somebody or when you give someone your help or when you give money, when you put money in that basket, you know what you do it for? You don't just do it just to pay the bills here. You do it for an eternal impact. And that's what God is saying here. That's what Jesus is saying, that joy. And we get to experience some of that now by going, I'm a part of it. I am a part. Now, as the future, though, This is the stuff that's hard to understand. But the Bible speaks of rewards and treasures in heaven. Actually, we're going to see next week. Next week, we're going to look at in just the next first couple verses we look at next week in uh, Matthew 19 and 21 says this, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a little preview of next week. That's where we're, that's where we're gonna be. We will see that the value, uh, the value in the rewards that we're gonna get in heaven, whatever, they're gonna, whatever it's gonna look like, the value of these rewards will be in the joy that they represent. They will be in the joy of the things that we know that have reminders. There'll be reminders that what God did in and through us here on earth in his name. And, by the way, the Bible says that they'll be acknowledged throughout all heaven. All of heaven's gonna know. I'll tell you right now, I'll take the acknowledgement of heaven over the acknowledgement of earth any day. Well, I say that now, Right? We always like to say that, oh, yeah, I know, I know, it's all for God's glory. You know, once again, see how sin works in there? Even as those words are coming out of my mouth, I'm going, yeah, say that. But it's going to be true. It's going to be amazing what those rewards are because it's going to be a joy knowing, oh, my gosh, these represent what, I, what God did in and through me on earth. Oh, my goodness, this is amazing. And it'll be more than winning the lottery, I can tell you that. Way more than that. You see, we give, we give in order to honor God alone. We give for an audience of one. That's who knows. Knowing that also that when we do, we get rewarded by our Father by this unimag- in unimaginable ways. All right, let's look at the second way. The second way is in the next couple verses. The second religious practice or faith practice that Jesus uses to illustrate um, for us correct motives for kingdom living is in verses five and six, and it's prayer, okay? Verses five and six say this. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your inner room. Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, we see here, just as with giving, Jesus starts by telling us not to pray like the hypocrites do. Don't pray in order to get attention. Don't pray in order to get approval from others. Because once again, that approval, that's it. That's the reward. You want, if that's the reward you want, okay. But that's all you're going to get. You see, this is important to know because for the Jewish people back then, prayer was an integral part of their everyday life. There are multiple prayers that they prayed throughout the day. Now, Jesus isn't speaking against praying in this. He's not saying, okay, I don't want you to pray out loud. I don't want anybody to hear you or see you pray. That would, that would just be crazy. What he's, con- what he's condemning here is the wrong motives for our prayer. And we're going to see how deep he goes with this in just a minute. And as, we, and as with giving, prayer is to be done in secret, Okay? Once again, he's not condemning public prayer, public prayer. He's not condemning us. We get together. There's a group of us that get together every Sunday morning here to pray. He's not condemning that. He's not condemning when you pray or when we, when we pray up here. That's all fine. What he's emphasizing here is the importance of our prayer being the means of actually authentically connecting and communicating with our Heavenly Father. Not to get the approval of people, but to actually connect to God. 
Have you ever found yourself? I do this sometimes. Um, some of you know, I, I, my, the way I pray is, the best way I can pray is to walk. I walk when I pray or hike. And I'll find myself every once in a while on my hike praying, and I'll be praying, and then I'll, and all of a sudden I'll just go, I'll look back and go, wow, first of all, I don't even remember what I just said. <laughs> you ever have that happen? And I was just kind of, as we're going to see here in a few minutes, I was just kind of babbling on. You know, I, that's not what prayer is meant to be. He wants it to, it's to be a connection, whether it's one-on-one or even in a group of people. When I'm up here and I pray to start the service or when the, when the vocalist, when they sing, or, you know, when Lindsay says we were done singing and she prays, the whole idea for her to be praying is to make a connection with God. That's what it's about. But so often we look at it as, okay, wonder what they're going to say. Or that wasn't said. Or whatever we do. We forget that that's the essence of what prayer is. Okay? And our reward, he says there's a reward again. Our reward is the joy of knowing for 100% certain that God hears our earnest prayers. That's the reward. The reward is knowing that when we come to him and we've prayed, we go, okay, I know that God heard me. Versus what we're going to see in just a few minutes here, just talk, 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 talk to God and go, man, I wonder if he even heard a word I said. He's connecting. It's connecting with God. I like how this professor of preaching at Northern Seminary, Northern Seminary Michael Quick, he said, captured kind of the essence of what Jesus is saying here. And he says, prayer is my blog with God that only he reads. I love that, and I totally thought of Amber while I was, when I found that, because Amber, as you know, uh, uh, writes a phenomenal blog, um, and I thought, I thought about that thing, and that's such, that's such a great, the essence of what he's saying here, I'm doing this for like, even so when, I, when someone's praying up front, you're still praying for an audience of how many? One. You're praying for an audience of one. Okay? Now, Jesus doesn't stop here with prayer. He just keeps going. He has more to say about the motives concerning prayer. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles, or some of your versions says pagans do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Here, Jesus is really, what he's doing is he's using an example of people that are outside of the faith that pray using just repeated words or repeated phrases or chants, or if you, if you like King James probably, I think, puts it the best, vain repetition, I love that. Just doing it over and over, hoping that God will hear, hoping that he'll get his attention sooner or later and convince him to answer us. I don't know about you, but I've, caught, I've been caught in that myself. I'm hurting so bad. God, I, I, just, I just, there's nothing wrong with coming to God regularly, regularly, but sometimes I feel like, are you listening? I feel like sometimes I'm not saying, I'm not connecting with God. I'm just talking at him sometimes. We don't need to badger God. We don't need to do that. God, we, we don't need to badger him to get, to get us to do certain things. We don't need to get his attention. God knows what we need. Look, it says he knows in verse 8 our needs before we even ask him. And if you've got your study questions, we always have them out in the back, by the way, if you want to grab them during some. One of the study questions for you this week, those of you that are in different Bible studies, is going to be, then why do we need to pray? What's the point? Well, I'll let you talk about that your thing. 
What this tells us, though, is that from God's perspective, prayer is more about him wanting to simply be in communion with us as his children. That's what he wants. We're always looking for a new formula, a new thing that'll help us to pray better, to pray more, and that's okay, in and of it, but in and of itself, we don't wanna get caught in the fact that if I can get a formula, no, he just wants to connect. He wants to connect with us. That's his perspective on it. You see, it's precisely because I understand my own children. I was thinking about this when I was trying to think about how does, how does I was thinking about, I understand my kids especially when they were younger. I know their needs more than anyone else. Those very needs keep my wife up at night. <laughs> Thank you. I just, and because I know my own children's needs more than anybody else, I want them to come to me. You see, I want them to, I want them to be able to come because I know them and I love them like other people just don't. And so I want that. I want them to come to me with their needs. I know that I want them to come elsewhere too, but because I love them, and that's what God's saying, because I love you so much, I know what you need, but I want you to come to me. I still want to be with you. What Jesus ultimately is condemning here is really a spirit of fear and a spirit of distrust that causes a person just to babble, 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 say things over and over again in order to make sure God fully understands. Okay, God, do you understand what I'm trying to say here? Just saying just words and repetition. And you know what I'm talking about. You know some of the ways that people pray sometimes. We just pray words and things that just absolutely don't really mean or just saying because it's a prayer that we've learned a long time ago and I should do that. That's not what God wants at all. That's not what prayer is about. It's not about just communicating information or arm twisting in order to get God to do things for us. It's an expression of our needs and of our longings and of our worship of God that is born out of a relationship of trust which comes from truly knowing God as our Father. That's where deep longing. So if you don't know God, that's why I encourage you to do whatever it takes to deepen your walk with God, whether it's get involved in a Bible study or get someone accountability or something like that, because you know what it'll do? It'll radically change your prayer life. People think, I've got to change my prayer life and my, my religious practices, my faith practices have to get strong, and then I will begin to get closer with God. You know what? Just come to him. We think that we have to do the initiating first. We have to do the work. Then God will draw near to us. We think, God, we just, just come. Just come as you are, and the rest and your prayer life will radically change as you come to God, just, I, I need you, helping and letting other people help you to do that. It's like what John Bunyan, in, um, in, who wrote in Pilgrim's, Pilgrim's Progress, say that 10 times fast, he said this concerning prayer, he said, when you pray, it's better to let your heart be without words than your words be without heart. It's so true. And I find myself sometimes, my prayers are without heart. And God's not going, oh, what's your problem? God's just going, oh, we missed an opportunity to connect. Because that's what I want more than anything. I want to connect with you. And that's probably why Martin Luther, one of the seminal figures in the Protestant Reformation, said prayer should be, I love this. He said it should be brief, frequent, and intense. 
Doesn't that change things a little? Does that change your, your frame of mind about prayer just a little bit? We think, okay, if I come to God, God's really going to honor the long prayer. Okay, if I'm, if, I'm really, if I'm really spiritual, if I'm growing in my walk with God, that means God is really only gonna hear the extended, all things that are all good, we need to be doing, but those are the only prayers that God hears. These spiritual giants are saying right here, whoa, 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 wait a second. Those are all great prayers, but the reality is, here's where you start. Start here. Frequent, brief, frequent and intense. I want to encourage you this week. I want to encourage you. If you're struggling at all with your prayer life, start here. Start with brief, frequent, but intense. Little popcorn prayer, they call them. Little arrows. Pew, pew. I've got just little things, but from the heart. That's so much better than just talking and talking for 15 minutes and going, uh, oh, so I want to encourage, let me encourage you with that. Okay. Let's, let's try, I'll try to do that. Now, Jesus obviously decides that prayer is too important to just stop. I mean, he's already talked about it more than the other ones. Now he's going to keep so, going. So in, contra, in contrasting the prayers of the hypocrites and the Gentile, now he gives us a model for prayer, okay? This is a model for how to pray, how to pray, and it's what we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. And since we covered this already, we've actually given, we talked about it in staff, I think we've Figure this is the third sermon if I were to preach, go through this prayer. This is the third one in maybe a year. So we're going to let you go back on the website and hear uh, Delson preached on it. I preached on it. So I just want to say a couple words on it. I want us to read the Lord's Prayer. Um, I'll, read, I'll read it. Follow along. And then we're just gonna, I'm just going to say a few words about it. So let's look, let's look at this. He says, pray then like this. Don't be like a hypocrite. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. It's hard to hear that and not go along with it, right? I, could just, I was thinking that too. You can't, we're so used to if someone says that. So if you feel like you need to do it, go ahead. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. From evil. Now, obviously, there are more aspects to prayer than what are just in this prayer. But really, the Lord's Prayer, what it is, it's a model for prayer in that it's the characteristics of it should mark our prayers. Okay? The characteristics. Remember, Jesus is talking about this. This whole section is on motive. This whole section is on our motives. So what's this is, this is our mo this helps our motive to have these characteristics in our prayer. And some of these characteristics include things, I'll put, I have a slide for you, just kind of things that they really rep that are represented for us. Um, privileged access to God is what this represents, is prayer. That's a great way to start. I have privileged access to God. Reverence for God, learning to revere God and see him for who he truly is. A deep desire for God to reign and to rule and to be acknowledged and honored in everybody's lives. Complete trust, completely trusting and total dependence on only God to meet our needs. Forgiveness is to be reciprocal or mutual. The desire for protection from sin. This is, this is, this is a lot of stuff packed into one little prayer. 
And so I would encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon, go online, find other people's teachings on the Lord's Prayer because the characteristics are, important, are super important uh, for this prayer. But really, in a nutshell, the Lord's Prayer embodies a longing for kingdom living. Okay, it embodies a longing for kingdom living, this God's reign and his rule in our lives and in the lives of others. That's what it gets down to. If you want to boil the whole thing down, okay? Now, that is a word prayer worth praying every once in a while, right? I would encourage you, go, oh man, I grew up praying this in church or whatever, or whatever. So maybe it's become a little bit rote, but I would encourage you with new eyes to every once in a while, pray the Lord's Prayer, and think about these things, these characteristics. Pray it sincerely. All right, let's look at verses 14 and 15, because what these two verses do is really they serve as an extension for verse 12, where, zero, where Jesus kind of zeroes in on the importance of forgiveness being reciprocal or mutual. For some reason, he feels like this is something I need to keep talking, motives, motives. I need to talk to them a little bit more about. Look at what it says, verse 14. It says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, these verses really seem to infer that in order to be forgiven, we need to be willing to forgive others of offensive and, uh, offenses and transgressions that they have committed against us. What Jesus is doing here is, once again, he's drilling down to the motive behind our spiritual practices. What he's saying here is that to ask, in essence, he's saying to ask for forgiveness while refusing to forgive is completely hypocritical. How could you possibly Come and say, oh, please forgive me. I deserve to be, I want to be forgiven. And there's someone that you need to forgive. And you're saying, I'm not willing to do that. That's crazy. That's what he's saying here. What he's saying that we need to ask to be forgiven. We need to do that. We see this, and we see this principle played out. We see, many of you know, in chapter 18, there's a parable of the unforgiving servant. We talked about this last time when we talked about the, um, when the, this prayer. It says, this servant that was, remember he was forgiven this tremendously large debt. It was like 160,000 years worth of his pay. But the king totally forgave him of that. But when he went out and found someone that owed him like 100 days worth, he said, grabbed him and threw him into jail. And this guy pleaded the same way he did, please forgive me. And he said, heck no, you're going to jail for that. That's an example of what he's trying to say here. Is how could you expect to be forgiven. How could you just have this motive of saying, yeah, this is how I live my life, not forgiving, but please forgive. See what Jesus is doing here? He's drilling down to the heart of what our faith really, really means. Kingdom living means forgiving those that have sinned against us, which is only something that someone who has been given, been forgiven so much can really understand. I'm telling you right now, you cannot understand. No, people don't understand. They will be blown away when you forgive people for absolutely just destroying you and you forgive them, not because you're such a good person, because you're totally aware of, uh, oh my God, if you only knew, if you only knew what I've been forgiven of, of course I'll forgive. 
If you only knew the sin that in my life, the, how I've rejected God, how my natural desire is to say, no, not you, but me, and to forgive people. I know it's not easy. Jesus isn't saying, oh, a piece of cake, go do it. And there's more teaching on that. But this is the principle that he's getting. All right, third and final faith practice that Jesus uses to illustrate for us, which is a little different for some of us, a little, out, a little outside of the box for some of us, some of not, is he uses uh, fasting. Okay, fasting is the third one he used in our last couple verses here. Verses 16 to 18, he says this. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, their, their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may be seen by others, not by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with fasting, fasting really is, really is it's, an, it's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes or for religious exercises, yet fasting really can refer to much more than just fasting from food. It can be fasting from anything for a period of time for the purpose of becoming less distracted and more focused on connecting with God and from he- with hearing from him. Can you imagine if, I couldn't imagine doing this, fasting for two days from my phone in order to be less distracted so that I could be more focused on God and hearing what he has to say for me. Wow. That'd be tough. But can you see how it would work, though? How it would work out? The very thing, the less distracted. And sometimes that's where the full fasting, where the food thing comes in. We're denying this urge, this urge that would to feed ourselves. This is not a bad thing, but we're denying that urge to allow another urge to take over. And that's the urge to know God in a deeper way or to hear from him in a way that we're desperate to hear from him, but we're so distracted, we can't, we're not able to. That's what fasting is about. In the Old Testament, we see examples of fasting accompanying confession and mourning of sin. In the New Testament, fasting is usually linked with prayer. When people are trying to get direction from God, get wisdom from God, they fasted to push away the distractions, to get more, uh, less of them, less of that thing and more of God. Fasting is meant to be a time of taking our focus off of the things of this world in order to get our focus fully on God. Now, in Jesus's day, these people, they fasted, they were very religious people, they fasted twice a week, okay? They were supposed to fast twice a week, the problem was that the religious leaders were drawing attention to their fasting so that people could see how devout and how pious they were. He says here, they were walking around all disheveled. They were probably walking around like, oh, what's wrong? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fasting for the Lord. You know, that, that, that's what they're getting at. Really? Remember they're trying, oh, man, oh, oh sorry, brother. Yeah, go, go your way. Man, I wish I was spiritual as him. That's what they were doing. Oh, I feel terrible. I'm sorry. Was that your stomach? Yeah, I'm fasting. You know, this is what because they wanted the attention. They wanted people. They didn't want to just fool people. Remember, they wanted people to see. Look how spiritual and good I am. They wanted the praise of people. And Jesus says, "Don't do that." First, says, "Don't look all disheveled. Get you know, get yourself looking like you're normal." 
okay? Like you're, you know, some of us, it takes more work than others, but get yourself, look into a place where you're not like, oh, you know, I'm fasting, like, I'm okay. So that people aren't going, what's going on? So you don't have to worry about trying to do this in secret like he talks about. Jesus says to not be like them. He says to do what you need to do to look normal. And as with giving and with praying, he says fasting is to be something that is motivated by our desire to honor God and not to get people's attention and approval. So why? Why is Jesus so concerned that our motives for carrying out our faith practices that they aren't isn't in order to be seen by other people in order to gain the approval? Why is he pushing this so much? Well, it's because he knows that, like I said earlier, even in our deepest desire to honor him in how we live out our faith, because of our sin nature, we will at times struggle to do so with pure motives. We will. It's going to happen. And God, he desires so much to have a re- to us to re- reap the rewards of what it means to live in such a way that it experience this joy that's just unexplainable and this intimacy that's just, you can't even explain, you can't even tell anybody about the intimacy you're having with God. That's why he wants us to have our motives to be pure. So when you give, When you pray, when you fast, when you share your faith, when you show love, when you show mercy, when you show kindness to other people in Jesus' name, anything you do in Jesus' name, any way that you live out your faith, do it to honor God and God alone. Keep your eyes focused on your true audience, that audience of one, really, It's literally the most rewarding thing that we will ever do. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for your word again and how it speaks to us and challenges us. And I, for one, know that I need to confess the fact that my motives are not always pure when I live out, try to live out my faith so often The enemy swoops in and takes what I wanted to do for you and wants me to grab a piece of it for myself. God, I confess that. I confess that. I do that when I speak, when I preach. I do that when I give. I do that when I am with people and I ask for forgiveness for that. God, I pray that you would help us to be the people that you desire us to be. Not that we have a show or not that we're all looking good, but that we're experiencing an intimate relationship with you, a relationship where we, are, we are, are being rewarded with joy, joy unspeakable that allows us to understand what it means to be loved by our Heavenly Father. Pray for everybody here, Father, who's desiring to know you in a deeper way. Pray that you would meet them, meet them where they are at this morning. And may this week be a different week because the power of God working in us and through us, shaping our motives to be the men and women that you desire us to be. In your son's name we pray.